you're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Monday, and in these episodes, you'll hear Sangram interview incredible practitioners, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs within our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. The episode is called Up Your Game. It's on LinkedIn. I post two to three videos a week. They're, like I said, they're all four or five uh, minutes long. And it's just kind of people that I know or kind of networked through over time and got them, you know, people referred them as a speaker. But they're pretty much all marketers, marketing leaders, director level or higher is typically what I go for. And there's a reason for that, um, uh, you know, because of they have that hiring experience. The other, the, the other thing, like I said, is I keep them very short. And I usually just ask them one question on a topic specifically to either career marketing career or marketing job interviews, right? And so today we're going to talk about job interviews, how to get better at job interviews. So with that, one of the things I found, you guys have probably heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? Um, it's this idea that like the really famous example is that everybody thinks they're better than an average driver, but everybody else thinks at driving. And that's not true, right? Uh, and when I asked this question very informally on LinkedIn, now this is not a scientific poll, but it, what I found is that most people, like you see 80-something percent say they're really good at interviewing as a job candidate, and no one says they're bad, yet that is the exact opposite of my experience, and in fact, as I was speaking with all of these 50-plus uh, you know, or 100-plus marketing executives, I actually got a lot of the same feedback, like, yeah, most interviewers are not very good. So there's a massive disconnect between how people see themselves versus how they actually perform in their job interviews. And, and the prevailing sentiment is from most executives is just they don't meet the expectations in the interviews. They, they ramble, they stumble, they're not very well organized. There's no coherent message or story, right? Those are some kind of, kind of some of the challenges uh, that, that um, I, I've seen or I've heard as well, right, from, from, other, from a lot of these executives throughout my interviews. In fact, this was a very telling story, uh, quote. This is, one, this is a Fortune 50 company person's a senior director from that company and he's telling me in san francisco the tech hub of the world and i can't find one good marketer right because he was so frustrated and exasperated with the level of candidates he was seeing over and over again so as i do these interviews it's pretty like i said typically pretty senior level people who are participating in this um and very much the right target persona in terms of who interviews so just a little bit of background there. Uh, one of the questions I ask very frequently is how can marketing candidates stand out in their job interview, right? And that's, that's one of the top questions. Hey, I hey Abdul. Yes. Can you go back to the stat? Uh, go back. What, so, so talk, talk, talk to us a little bit about this. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as I mentioned earlier, I wanted to have people who have extensive hiring experience. So that's one of the reasons I typically go for director level or higher. Um, some of them are people at very, very large companies. Some of them are very people at startups, right? There's a lot of diversity in here. The other thing is it is a U.S.-centric survey, unfortunately. It, not entirely. There are plenty of people outside the U.S., um, but it's probably about 80% Americans. The other 20% is outside of the U.S. So you have to have that kind of little bias in there in this, in this uh, review. And it's tech. There's a bias towards tech. That's just the world that I live in. That's where my network is. Yep. Having said that, there are a number of, quite a number of people outside of tech who who were participated also. That's cool. Yeah, this is, I mean, I didn't realize you had such a broad across the board, like both executive recruiters as well as CMOs all the way to directors. So that's, that's really good to, to see that breakdown. 
Yeah, I was actually, I was surprised when I saw these numbers. I was a little bit surprised. I was very happy with it though. Like, okay, good. I'm not getting just a single view, right? Although if I could change something, I would I would love to have more non-Americans. I would have loved to have more non-tech people as well. Well, so because you're in the peak and there's a ton of uh, international crowd for us. Uh, yeah, go for it. Exactly. So if you guys are in that fall nut category or want to be or know somebody, then let me know. Okay. All right. So the one question uh, that stands out, how do you stand out in your marketing job interview, right? Here's what I, what I found. The best marketing job in, in candidates, they show data and they show how to date, they bring data and they show how it drives business results, right? Uh, because most candidates will come in and say, here's what I did. And they'll talk about 50 different activities that they've done and they'll list it bullet point by bullet point. And in fact, they've lost the message because it's not about activity. It's about outcomes, right? Our job is to drive outcomes as marketers. So that's what the best candidates do. They show outcomes and they bring data, right? They're creative. And these are actual quotes from some of the executives on there, right? Show me how you generate revenue. Marketing is about driving revenue, right? So very much you expect this from a CMO or VP of marketing to be able to say some of these things. What the, where the disconnect is that a lot of the candidates don't make that point in their interviews. I love this quote from Wendy, modern marketers bring data. I love it because it's so concise and it just hits the point, right? It's like, what else is there to say about this other than that? What do I, what do I, what's another thing can, the best candidates do to stand out? They tell a compelling and insightful story, right? And again, most candidates will come in and say, I did X, Y, Z, I did ABC. I went, they go through a list of activities and there's no kind of coherent either career narrative or narrative to the story, the challenge that they were facing in, in their job, why we're do, doing the things they're doing that, right? And what was the outcome and the end result? How did it change things? If you think about a good story narrative, um, and the, I think to me, one of the best examples, honestly, is Star Wars, especially the, the first three episodes that came out. It's about a, a essentially a lost child, right? Uh, Luke was a lost uh, young man, who came in and encountered a serious challenge um, and he couldn't overcome the challenge. He had to have a guide, a mentor, who had, happened to be Yoda, who helped him show him the path and then you know, ultimately got Luke to where he needed to be or wanted to be. That, of course, is pretty dramatic, but the storyline of overcoming, uh, having a challenge, overcoming a hurdle and then succeeding, that's the kind of thinking that a lot of these executives want to see okay, in, in, from, in their candidates. And by the way, I see tons of messages in the popping up in the chat. Unfortunately, I can't read them. So maybe we'll come. I don't know. Eden, you, you mentioned you were able to address some of them. If not, we'll come back to them later. So anyway, so tell me the evolution of your career path, right? Don't just tell me I worked at company A and I worked at company B and I worked at company C. It's like, why did you start where you started? Now, how, why are you where you are today? And what was all the kind of path in between? That's the story that they want to hear. So Bill was kind of um, asking in the chat, he was kind of mentioning, you know, how do you bring that up? Do you just start dropping data in like a first interview? Is this meant for a second interview? What's the appropriate time and, and way of presenting data and showing that you know what you're talking about within that data? I answered every single question with data. Very first thing I say, no matter what the question is, I say, to, I, I give a data point. So I have a whole bunch of a list of different data points that apply to different situations, even about the tell me about yourself. I have a data point for that. So when somebody says, tell oh, me about wow. yourself, I start with, I did this and it led to that. It's literally the first sentence. And then I tell the story, I back in the story of how I got to that. Okay. So I am very, very personally, I'm very outcomes focused. And when I do some career coaching or job interview coaching as well on the side, and I always tell, teach people, start with the data and then tell the story. 
Okay, um, so hopefully that addresses your question. Yeah, yeah. What it requires is a library or archive of data points, right? And there may be different data points depending on what the question and the story is you're telling. But, but it certainly, it helps, right? So you have to spend a lot of time thinking up front, especially thinking, actually, I'm gonna go on a little, very short tangent. A lot of people make the mistake of preparing for a job interview when they get a call from a recruiter. That's way too late. You should be preparing for your job interview when you're not even searching for a job, right? That means coming up with these stories, coming up with these data points, thinking back through your career, talking to some of the past colleagues, understanding how they saw you, right? Putting all of that together and, then you have, and really thinking about it and packaging your story so at the time the, the interview comes, you already have all of that. You don't have to waste your time on thinking about it. You just have to think about practicing and rehearsing and pulling out the salient points. So that's my little yeah. tangent here. Now that Abdul, that tangent is so so interesting. I'm I'm curious how how do people? I heard maybe just start with you, and if others have comments on that, is like how do you keep this archive of your stats and knowledge and things? So, for example, for me, like one of the things, like I, I, you know, I'm a speaker. I love I I speak like you know two three times a month. So for me, it's really important to always make sure I take screenshot of the quotes or something that somebody said, and I just have a a library of a ten really like thousands of quotes of what people have said, so that I can use it you know, wherever else, or if, uh, you know, in, in, so I, I just, or, or if I have, well, because I post um, so often, I have an Evernote that I have, like, every time I think of something, I just don't go and post because I don't want to post like 50 times a day. I just drop that in an Evernote. So now when I'm running out of ideas or thoughts, like I would just pick out of the Evernote or pick out of that thing. So I'm curious, how do you, how do you do it? And how do you recommend others do, uh, do this constant inventory so that when they're do looking for a job, they have something to, to fall back on? Yeah, I, I, there's probably people on, even on this call who are probably much better at it than I am. What I do is I just use a simple Google Doc, right? And it's similar to you. It's like when a po to thought pops up about a post, for example, I'll write that down and save it for a rainy day or whatever. But in terms of this, I actually, uh, the, the job interviews, I literally sat, spent a weekend once just going through every single job and writing down what I did and what were some of the outcomes to the best I could recall, right? And then some of the stuff goes years back. And then I contacted a lot of my old coworkers and a lot of my colleagues and said, hey, remember, what was I good at? What was I not good at? What did we perform yeah. well? Do you remember anything, any successful projects, right? I asked them about those things because they may th remember things that I don't remember. I mean, I don't know what I did at Oracle in 2011, right? But, but they might. So that organization took me uh, probably a week or so of just intense thinking about it and then organizing it. And then now I have this basic of, basis of a library. And then every quarter I go back, okay, what did I do this past quarter? What were the main projects and what did we achieve out of it, right? And then I write that down. So now it's really easy. It's the initial, the friction on the initial piece was very difficult because you have to overcome so much uh, from so many years ago. I love that. Thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. Eden, any other questions in the chat I should address or should I keep going? No, you can go ahead, keep going. All right, great. What else are the best marketing candidates uh, better at? They are strategic. I love this one because, you know, we all like to say, oh, we're strategic. We want to be strategic. And nobody really defines what strategy means. What I found out in the course of these conversations is that people have an idea of what strategy is. They just don't always articulate it very well. One of the things that came up, and this was especially from the C-suite people who I spoke with, is what they wanted to see over and over again is I want to have a conversation. I don't want to do an interview. 
I want the other person to have a two-way conversation with me. And, and that, that kind of pattern came up a lot, especially at the most senior levels of the organizations that I spoke with. That, that, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for people who can provide new insights to them, right? Hey, I may be the COO at Viva, who was one of my customer, uh, guests, I just, but just because I'm the chief operating officer at Viva doesn't mean I know everything in the world. So I'm a lot of candidate who comes in and gives me a new perspective that I had never thought about. And, and that's when the light started turning on for me as well. I'm like, wow, right? If he's looking for guidance from people he's interviewing, then maybe that's what we do. And we, I saw that pattern over and over again, right? The other thing that a lot of these executives advice that they gave is make sure the company's fit for you. Don't just get the job because you need the job. Well, of course, of course, there's the financial considerations, but don't just apply because you want the job. Make sure that job is the right fit for you. And the only way you do that is by asking a lot of questions and making a two-way conversation because otherwise you'll get into the company, realize it's the wrong place for you. And and then, you know, you got to deal with that mess. So I thought this one was really insightful. I was going to quiz you guys. What, what percentage of candidates do you guys think fit into this category? I do those three things. What I found from the interviews I had with all of these people, uh, leaders, marketing leaders is across the board, the consensus was about one in 10 candidates does those three things that we just talked about. That's not very high, but that also roughly falls in line with my own personal observations. So it was interesting for me to get that validation externally, right? So what this tells me is there's a lot of opportunity for people to just do better, uh, to, to enhance their own kind of the way they present themselves. Um, the other thing I asked, another very common question I asked, especially early on, I would ask this, what bothers you? What, what are some mistakes that candidates make, right? Because this happens over and over again. And there were some definite things, the pet peeves that these hiring managers came up across. The most common problem by far, and I was blown away by this one, preparation or lack of preparation. I mean, look at these quotes, right? These are quotes from uh, CMOs saying it's clear they've not looked at our website. The amount of people who haven't done their homework amazes me. And, you know, one, one CMO complained, these types of candidates don't respect my time. So when you have three different CMOs saying this, and by the way, I've personally seen that in some of the candidates I've interviewed as well. There's, there's a problem here. And I don't know what the root cause of this problem is. I've racked my brain a lot about this. If anybody has any insight into why this is, let me know about it because I don't have an answer why. I just know it's a common problem and is validated by so many different marketing leaders. Has anybody here, does, does this run ring any bell with any hiring managers here? Have you seen this? Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> so there you go. This happens all the time and it drives me absolutely bonkers. If you want to come work for work for us as a company, then you better darn well be able to come with new. I mean, this kind of actually uh, correlates to what you said before too. If you're going to be thoughtful enough to come with new ideas and most people want to hire people that are better than, than themselves, right? Like there's, there's gaps that we try to fill because we don't have those. And if you hire talent, you want them to be eventually be able to take over. That's the goal of leadership, right? right. In order to do that, they've got to understand the company. They've got to do their research. I just think it's, it's silly how often I, I run into this way too much. It's amazing, right? And you're not even quoted here. This, this was other people who were being quoted on, on the screen, right? So they're all seeing the same thing. Does anybody have any theory about why because I would love to know why this is the case I think this is so I actually think this goes back to one of the points that you have on the other one which is actually having a personal conversation 
if somebody actually, if a candidate looks at the job site and looks at looks at what your company is about, you can have a conversation with them. You can have a strategy conversation with them. And if they don't, that's when it falls apart. I don't know why people don't take that step because they're just coming in with the I did this, I did that, as opposed to I've seen what your offering is. Here's where I think we could make it better. Absolutely, it might be. In my two cents is that, you know, especially when folks come from larger companies to a smaller startup or a mid-tier company, they think that they've seen it all and they know it all. And just seeing the role and the industry, uh, they think that they are perhaps the best fit and uh, they can add a lot of value without thinking about the cultural fit and, and not thinking about, you know, how they fit into the entire ecosystem sometimes can be really challenging. Just my two cents. Very good. Very good point. Yeah, I have I have a, a role open right now, and and I have I have the same experience. And on top of that, I have the feeling, I don't know if that is only for that role, there is at least fifty to seventy percent of the people. They appear to me that they kind of have a scalable system to apply for each and everything. They just shoot out something, and I get really annoyed when I see that. And they write, "Dear hiring manager," and I think, "What the hell is that?" And and I. I why do you do that? I mean, what is the goal of that, right? And then to your point with the, with the homework, I mean, I've, it's like 70 applications I have received. So there's maybe two or maximum of three who really came up with, the, with some ideas or address. And even in the first interview, I, I had only a few people. Most of them, they just tell me whatever. They don't even mention the company name. I really don't understand that. That's frustrating, right? To be honest, yeah, absolutely. I think I think maybe one this might be a problem is I think a lot of people when they are trying to find a job and they're searching for a job, I think that they're doing it in masses, right? They're going out to job boards and they're just finding, oh, I'm looking for a director of marketing position, so click apply to fifty of them, <laughs> right? So then all of a sudden the recruiters come in and they're like, yeah, I saw your application. Let's, let's get you in the interviewing process. Then they have an interview a day later um, when maybe the volume of job searches that candidates are doing probably should be narrowed down a little bit. I don't think that candidates should focus on just going out to the masses and applying to a bunch of different jobs. I think this is where they get in trouble. And I think that's why you run into so many um, candidates that come in through the recruiting process and other areas where they haven't done their homework because they've been thinking about it so broadly. I think there's a lot of truth to that as well. So there may be multiple reasons, right? Well, we may not be just one reason, but it's clearly a common challenge and it's a surprising one. When I came up with this one inside, I was like, really? Like, why? Why is this, right? Eden, any, any questions in the chat that I need to address? Not right now. I don't think awesome. so. Caleb, you had a question or a comment? Yeah, so I, I, I'm just noticing a parallel in human behavior between how companies kind of attract and acquire customers and how the job candidates are trying to acquire a new job for themselves. And so what I'm seeing is that when they're focused on just getting the job, they end up going wide. But when they're focused on the, on the greater success and the long-term success, they end up kind of qualifying the jobs they're looking for much more carefully and they have this curiosity about them uh, because they actually want to make impact you know yeah absolutely 
And and by the way, I can't always I can't see everybody. I just happen to have Kalim's head pop up in the little left corner. Give a question or comment, just jump right in because chances are I won't see it on a little emoji on the on the video. So um next. So what, what can marketers do to just make the resume stand out? That's also a common question, right? Because you can't, we won't even get the interview if you don't have the right resume. There's certain patterns here as well that we came across. So the rest, resumes, this is, came up over and over again. This was a very clear pattern what people were looking for. It's got to match the job description very closely. It's got to show business results and outcomes. It has to tie work back to revenue and it has to highlight key achievements. So think about that and the first half of the presentation, right? They're essentially the same thing. They're telling you the resume. You have to approach your resume writing the way you have to approach your job interview as well, right? You lead with results. You talk about revenue. And it's shocking how few people actually do that. In fact, what percentage of people do that in, in the resumes, right? 10 to 15%. This was the consensus I heard from people, like 10 to 15% resumes that they review have these attributes, so it's not, and it's probably the same people who interview well as well, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, Any, I, have, uh, I, have a, I have a funny uh, kind of story that's going on right now. I'm hiring right now for a uh, director of marketing operations. Ever, I mean, most people that know me know I'm, I like, that's my life, right? I eat, live, and breathe marketing operations. That's how I got to this point in my, my career. So it's no secret. It's all over the place. And it is absolutely unbelievable to me how many candidates that we get that come in and apply for the job and literally don't have a single number, <laughs> not one number in their entire resume. And it's just all qualitative. Um, yep. Like that's unbelievable to me. This is a job that is supposed to be about numbers. <laughs> and the majority of candidates we get don't, don't have anything like that in their resume. So I immediately dismiss them. I, it's not because I don't want to get to know them. It's not because they wouldn't be a good fit. It's because if I don't see that right out of the gates, I know that they're not going to be a good fit because I want them to have that communication style. Yeah. And I actually, uh, no, I mean, I think you're spot on. I actually feel like um, it could be a combination of education didn't do a good job. Like I was never taught to write a proper resume. I was just told, you know, put your head in a nice font or whatever, but I was never told, well, what should the bullet points say? And maybe our educational system didn't do a good job of that. And no one ever is there to tell me to look at my resume and say, hey, this is, this is silly, dummy, fix this, right? This is how you should do it. I think it's just a matter of people that are not aware of this, which is part of the whole kind of how this series took off is, right? You know, because we're touching on things that people never really discussed in detail. I wonder if there's an element of either insecurity or shame because nobody wants to admit that they're not good at something, especially as important as career. Um, it could very well be, right? Um, I mean, gosh, if I look at my back at some of the interviews I've had over the years, but I've just done terrible, terrible, right? I wish that somebody would have, the hiring manager after the fact would have called me up and said, yeah, you're not remotely going to get this job, but if you want another job somewhere else, this is what you need to fix. I wish that would have, somebody would have done that for me. See, and, and to your point, I, I, I always do that. Whenever I interview somebody and I recognize really big red flags in the interviewing process where I know... I think this is also part of the hiring. The people that are interviewing, I think also need to be a lot more transparent about the situation. And we, we got to realize as leaders, if we're going to hire people, uh, we got to be leaders for everyone that, that is a touch point to our, our network, right? So if, if you're interviewing, I also think leaders need to be more methodical in giving coaching because I, I love the fact that you took initiative with this and, and, 
people need this way more, but it's also, I think it needs to be part of the hiring manager's responsibilities and the, and people interviewing and senior leaders to be able to say to a candidate, Hey, you know, this is where you kind of fell short in the interview. And this is what I would do in the future. Um, when you're interviewing for a similar position, that doesn't happen enough to your point, Abdul. And I think that, that that's, that's something that, that I do a ton. And every single time that I've ever done it, they, I, I get thanked because they end up getting a job afterwards because they follow the direction. Right. Absolutely. I see everybody's heads nodding. Yes. I, I personally, I fully agree with you. I haven't done it traditionally because always because of fear of what if it comes back to bite me? What if they go complain to HR or whatever, right? There's, for me personally, there's always been that element of like, am I tr- opening up a can of worms here that I don't want to open up? I don't know if that's true for anybody else. Maybe it's just me being paranoid. <laughs> I'm sure it would depend on the size of your organization slash HR department too. Yeah, absolutely. I had a, I have an interesting story if I may share it. Of course. We were hiring a marketing director recently and we had a candidate who I loved. He was so um, enjoyable to talk to the kind of guy you would absolutely want to get a beer with very much asking the questions, making sure that we were the right fit for him. And I went back to our, our executive team. And I'm like, yeah, I, I think thumbs up, green light on this guy. And and one of the people on that team who has far more experience than I do says, interesting you say that. He didn't actually provide any data. And whenever we were asking him to provide data, kind of like you're saying, he would always flip the question back around. He would kind of like sidestep it and avoid it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful to have that um, viewpoint that I otherwise wouldn't have. Like, had this been my company, I would have just totally gone with that and not known to ask for the data, right? Or not known to keep an eye out for that, or that it could be a red flag if somebody is like being very subtle about it and just trying to, you know, answer questions with more questions. Yeah. I came out of it feeling uh, a little bamboozled, but it was a great, great learning experience. Right, and I think that's how we all learn, right? Through that, I mean, it's not like any of us were born great interviewers or interviewees. It's all through practice, right? And then guidance, so... All right, let me keep going here. 10 to 15% of candidates do it right. I love this quote from Assad, and I apologize if you're not American or not familiar with the Americanism expression here, but you know, basically, home run is the best way to score a point in baseball. When I see these types of uh, resumes, I know it's going to be a home run, right? It's the ones that list the resume, uh, the, the, the data points that show how they grew revenue, that show results, not activities. So Assad here is actually former colleague and a friend of mine, he said that when he sees a resume like that, he knows the interview is going to be fantastic. He runs after those candidates because he know he doesn't want the, uh, the competition to get him. So it creates a, a sense of urgency for him. So in kind of a bit of a summary, how do the best marketing candidates stand up apart, right? They come prepared. You would think this is a no-brainer, but it clearly is not. They bring data and that data that's relevant and that shows how results, right? Um, they weave a narrative. They're more strategic. That means they have a two-way conversation and they know what they want and what they don't want. Remaining authentic. I know I didn't touch that upon that uh, throughout the rest of the presentation, but it's it's part of it, right? Everybody said this as well. Right? I want people. I don't want people just to kind of come up with answers because they want the job. I want the answer. I want them to say things because they really believe it. So that's how best marketing candidates stand out. Now I do. I like to. Oh gosh, the colors look awful. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I like to be actionable at the end. I don't want to just present for the sake of presenting. 
Uh, there's a few things that I can recommend right now, right? First and foremost, I wrote a book on this. I summarized all of this. And I'm not saying this, please forgive me. I'm not saying this to pluck my book. I really am not. I say this because I truly, truly believe in this book. I like, and I, people tell me when they read it, it's changing the, the way they approach it. So one thing you can do is you can either go on LinkedIn and follow me if you haven't followed me or connect with me, please, and, and watch the videos or grab the book, which is a summary of a lot of this stuff, but it goes into a lot more depth and actionable information. The other thing I would really recommend for everybody is to practice. Practice with another person. Don't practice in front of the mirror. Because the mirror is not, never going to challenge you. The mirror is not going to ask you questions that you can't anticipate. Another person can. And who is the person you should be practicing with is somebody who is in that hiring role, right? So if you're going for a position of director of marketing, you know you're going to speak to the VP at a whatever consumer packaged goods store, CPG company. Um, find a VP. I know it's not easy, but find a VP that's similar in that space who you, who's willing to practice with you. That's the best advice I can give you. And, and not just one, but multiple people. And this comes back to the point what I was thinking earlier. Don't start practicing for your interviews when you have an offer or when you have a, a recruiter calling you. It's way too late. Your interview practice starts months before your job search starts. And finally, network, right? And we're all part of the peak community. I assume people are networking with each other, but I was looking at my own network the other day. And within the peak community, it's not remotely as high as it wanted to be or should be. So connect with each other, right? Um, connect, take an action item. If you want to be serious about what we learned today, five, five people that you didn't know or haven't connected with and connect with them, right? And, and if we're not connected, please reach out to me, right? So, so yeah, that's, that's that. Any kind of questions there, comments, whatever. I, I will say this. I, that seems like those three takeaways seem really simple, but you just saw the data behind how many people don't do it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it's sometimes the foundational stuff that really makes the biggest difference for, for what that's worth. I, I do think that people just overlook some of those foundational areas. So I agree. Question actually. So my question would be when you're talking about data points, do you like what, what do you mean by that? Like, could you give an example of when that would like flow into conversation or, or something, something like that? Yeah. So, so one of the things I've found is that because I've interviewed, been interviewed a lot over the years, whether I've done good or bad is a different story. I've just had a lot of job interviews myself. What I found is that a lot of interviewers are not good at this. They haven't been coached in an interview either. So they go 80% of the time you're going to, you can almost predict what questions you're going to get. And it's the same generic. So tell me about yourself. It's always the first one, right? Like 95% chance that you're going to get that one, 90% chance. But other things, well, show me, give me an example of something that you've done that's successful, right? And they're setting you up for you to go in and kill that question, right? Show me an example of what, something you've done, you're successful. I'm going to make these numbers up. I introduced the data warehouse at IBM and a data warehouse we launched at. Within three months, six customers bought it and we made $10 million in revenue. Boom, right? And in Sangram's words, right there. Instead of saying, which is what most people do is, Oh, yeah, you know, I worked at uh, IBM. I was a product marketer and I was responsible for uh, product launch and I do product launch. I do, you know, I make sure the website is ready and then we have personas and we go through blah, blah, blah. And they go through all of these tactical activities. Think about those two answers, right? One is very much business outcomes oriented. The other one is very, very tactical. So that's an example of lead with, with results. Now, when you start with that one, the first sentence should give all those results, first one or two sentences. And then you got to back up into the story because you got to keep it interesting. You also don't want to go into beyond two-minute answers. I'm very, very big believer that uh, answers should be 
two minutes or less, right? And that's hard. I would try, try listening to yourself once. You cannot stop at two minutes. It's almost impossible. You have to train yourself to stop at two minutes. So. Yeah, I totally agree on the two minute piece, the bit where um, when I'm interviewing, if, if you ask the first question, just tell me about your background and I literally time someone, if they go over five minutes, they've pretty much failed the interview. Oh, and you know what? In my experience, my vast majority of candidates will go in the five minutes. And if you let them go, they'll keep going, right? They're not comfortable with, with silence. You know, um, I added in there also that there is a, th this might be really hard uh, for a lot of folks is how much do you brag about what you did? Like how you talk about it? Because it's, it's you know, for the most part, most people are humble enough to like, yeah, you know, yeah, we did some great stuff, but not really put it in tangible words as Abdul you're saying. Like, yeah, so I, like I, I definitely look for, there is a lot of, you know, we want to know what you did, but we also want to hear we did and, and, and the team aspects of it, uh, as opposed to saying that, well, I did all of it because we all know nobody does all of it. Like nobody yeah. runs. Like, you know, if you ever heard, you know, if you ever hear me, hear me say, Oh, I build the peak community, you know, you should totally call me out on it because it's just not true. So it's, it's the idea of where is the person actually genuinely talking about here is what I really did. And I'm wondering if you or others have examples of how you would say that versus we as a team, and I was a big part of this team, like in, in a way, but how do you, how do you say that? How do you find, how do you got that, that, that fine line between humility and bragging uh, about, about yourself? So I think it's a very good point and it's a hard one. For me, I was actually for years and years, I was on the far end of humility, too far on the humility. Yeah. And I was actually coached to move out of that range. I was coached to move into the take credit, not for the whole thing, but take credit for what you achieved. And, and so one of the things I always say in my interviews personally is, look, when I start out early and I say this, is, this wasn't me, this was a team effort, right? Clearly there, if there wasn't a fantastic sales team behind it, if there wasn't a fantastic product management team behind it, uh, we wouldn't be where we are. But here's what I carved out. Here's the piece that I took ownership of, right? And that allows you to kind of come in there and, and say, Good take some initiative about what you achieve versus what others achieve. Um, but I think part of it is also personality. I mean, traditionally, I was just, I was so uncomfortable with taking credit for some of these things that literally people told me, you've got to stop being so insecure and apologetic for your accomplishments. So I feel I've come out of that shell. I hope I don't cross the other way, right? I don't know where the line is. So that's, that's an interesting point, what, what, what uh, Sangram brought up. My, I, I, I was thinking about while, while you asked it, if it is uh, if it is different depending on which level you are, let me say, if you are an IC, you might talk more about yourself. If you are in a VP position where you have a team, you might talk more about the we and what we have achieved. I think that has an impact, but yeah. it is definitely a challenge and also to to write about. At the end, you go into the interview and you always talk about we. I mean, as as an as an interviewer, I would definitely also ask, okay, what of that we is also you? Right. And how, how do you kind of differentiate that? That's an interesting, uh, interesting part. Yeah. No, absolutely. I agree. I think one of the things I heard from a CMO, a uh, personal mentor of mine, as she mentioned years ago, she mentioned to me that the way she measures her success is by, by whether other people are succeeding in their careers. And for me at the time, now that seems very obvious to me, but at the time when I, that was the first time I heard it, I was like, wow. Right. It just kind of blew my mind. Like I've never thought of it that way. So it's, 
it's a very interesting way. I actually think she was right. Good question. Mm -hmm. So um, I we were just on a session with the ECMOs a couple of days ago. It might have been a week now where they were talking about how to build a good team. And so many of the ECMOs were mentioning just being a kind person, being a good person, soft skills, soft skills, um, building a team. That's what they look for. They want somebody that they want to work with on their team, things like that. And so, and so how do you, as an interviewee, um, navigate, okay, I need to show off that I'm a good person, that I'm like, have soft skills and all this stuff versus I need to show off that I'm data driven, that I understand the analytics, all of that great stuff. Like, how do you, or, or are you just assumed to always be showing data or does it depend on the job? Like, where's that, where is that marker of like, I need to show off soft skills, I need to show off hard skills. How do you do that? I'd love to hear what other people have to say. I do have a kind of a point of view, I guess, on it as well. I think the the soft skills come out as part of it. I don't think you need to specifically think about it. It's part of that, you know, be authentic and it comes out. And if you're a jerk or a selfish person, it'll come out. If you're a nice person, which is what most people are, nice people, that's how I look at it at least, um, that comes out as well. What I do find is that some people, the challenge they have with soft skills is, insecurity and i struggled with this myself for years right i wasn't secure about what i had accomplished or what i could accomplish and then because of that i would fill it in with just air just talking and talking and never shutting up i feel that happens a lot that people i don't know why others speak i know that's why i spoke a lot i don't know why others do it but the whole idea of speaking for five minutes on an answer right that that happens frequently I think a really good idea is to look at the company's website and in a lot of cases you're you're able to find areas of culture that they value, right? Mm -hmm. And even if you can't find it on the website, this is where you can do your homework as, a, as an interviewee. Ask them if they have a document around their culture before you come to the interview process. Then you're set up to know what they really care about. Like what, what do they look for? It's not always, for me, it's not always like I'm looking for the nicest person, right? I'm, I'm, I'm looking for somebody who can come in and live the culture and and help lead the culture right and so i think it starts finding that too um to abdul's point if you have that in the back of your mind when you're answering questions from them it will naturally come out uh that's what i think yeah, yeah that's the, the, it's a great point of view go ahead dirk what were you gonna say no 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 sure go ahead you no no i was just gonna say that's a great that's a great point is like i think it all starts probably in the research about the company and and i'm thinking now about like a year ago when i was looking at companies i feel like you can tell based on someone's website like what they what they're looking for and what they need because you've got to be that fill the hole that they're looking to fill and so um i think just based on how they word their job description almost to clean's point the energy that they give out is the energy that you have to reciprocate so how they're filling out their job description is how you need to fill out your interview. And that's a great thing to keep in mind. I'd never really thought about it like that, but yeah, thank you guys. But keep in mind too, that not every company, like for us, you would, you would go to our website and never be able to see any of that because <laughs> we're in the middle of a rebrand and changing all of it. So uh, <laughs> that is mind, a good point. That was a good companies point. <laughs> are at a different journey, which is why you really do have to be proactive in asking a question ahead of the interview, because it's not always, on the website, it, it, a lot of cases yeah. it will be, but it's not. So all. you're talking about like a like a LinkedIn, like reaching out to some people on LinkedIn and really getting some calls going before the interview. Is that kind or of ask the recruiter 
just straight okay. up be like, hey, I would really like to understand their culture. Is there a document or is there a set of guidelines that they live by? Well, you know, what's interesting about that is like for, I mean, when you're, when you're, um, I, we're not talking about this level of interviewing, obviously, but you know, when you graduate college um, and you're looking for jobs, you honestly most likely don't have the recruiter's name. You don't have any information about the recruiter. It's this like generic job posting, which I've seen a lot of my friends get jobs from. And I, I got a job from a generic job posting a couple of years ago and at like a big software company. And I didn't know even the recruiter's name. I didn't know anyone in the HR department. How do you figure that out or, or find that out, I guess, is, is my question. Do you just go on LinkedIn and start kind of searching how do you find the right job recruiter because sometimes there's like 10 you know what i mean i don't know if anyone has the answer to that it doesn't have to be just abdul but but, but even if you answer? don't yeah even if you don't 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 find anything i think it's important to ask that one of the first things i would i i love when when when, when interviewers ask about it right what is the culture because that's and, and that also goes to the to the topic around the around the data the data is super important but like in our case, we are a startup, so we're not a huge company. Yes, I look for the data, but if I find someone who is really good in data and everything, but does not fit to our, to our company, I have a real problem. And so the, the cultural aspect is for me most, most important. And if someone is not asking about, hey, what, how is the team and, uh, and how is the culture in the company? How do you work? What is your work style? And then I always get nervous, right? And I had a cool candidate yesterday. I had an interview yesterday. And we talked about everything. And, and the, the best question she, she asked me was about, so what do you do as a leader that I can, can grow in my career and, and that I get I personally develop? And I was really happy about that question, to be, to be honest, because that's one of the differentiators we can, we can kind of offer as a startup. Remember, we don't have huge salaries and stuff like that. But that was a great question for me. And it showed me that, that she was really interested in knowing about how we work and, and how am I as a leader and stuff like that. So that was really cool. That is a good question. Absolutely. One, one other thing I'd like to kind of mention to the point of soft skills and also what some of the executives said earlier, right? It's a two-way conversation. Really dig for the other person's, not necessarily their soft skills, but the the, the their persona, the personality, and whether you can work with this person or for, for this person. I've been in interview situations where, like, there were red flags during the interview. I could sense them, and I was thinking, ooh, is this going to be a problem? And I accepted the job anyways, and it didn't work out well for me at all. And I should have, in hindsight, right, I was kicking myself. I'm like, why did I do this? I didn't need that job. I wasn't desperate for a job. So I learned from that. And I would say, like, if you have red flags, if you, those come up for you, right, because the other person has to also show their soft skills, their communication skills. And if you see any red flags in that sense, dig in further, maybe do some back channeling or maybe back out of the interview. If there, if you see red flags at an interview, chances are you'll see them at the job. You know what I find really interesting too is that how many people get stuck in a swim lane of a role and they actually really hate it, but mm -hmm. it's, where their, it's where their experience lies. Yeah. Um, I've come into new roles as CMO and I've had a team and I, that's one of the first things that I ask every person on my team is where, where are your passions? And you would be absolutely stunned at how many people have been doing uh, design work for 10 years and they absolutely hate it. And they actually want to do something totally different. So I also think that it's, it's, 
we've we've got to also help people figure out where their passions are. So that's actually a, one of the first questions that I also ask in an interview pr process is, I don't give a crap what this job description says. Tell me where your passions are, because that helps draw also who they are as a person. And I think it helps a ton <laughs> uh, because there's people on my team that have been developers for eight years over in, when I had a team over in India, there were, I had a developer that, that had been doing great work for eight years and we actually moved him into a design role. And he's one of the best designers I know. Like developer to design is two different brains, okay? So, but people really do have that problem. They can't get out of their swim lane. And I think a lot of times it's because they're not given a path to try something different. Now, I know, uh family friend who's a really successful general counsel for businesses and has been a really good lawyer for most of his life. Uh, he's reached this point where he, you know, has decided he wants something different and he's feeling very disappointed because he feels like it's really hard to break into more of a leadership type role at a company because he's always been seen as, you know, oh, he's the guy you go to for when you need a lawyer or general counsel or whatever. And he, you know, has been doing that for so, so long. And uh, how do you break out of that? You know, it's a hard, hard thing, kind of scary, right? I wish I knew. I've, I feel like I fall into that boat, actually. I feel like I'm, I've been in product marketing for so long, and I feel like I know it really well. And that's how people see me. And I know Judd and I, we've talked about this before, like I've seen as a product marketer, <laughs> I want to be more than that, but I can't break out of it, right? And Judd's giving me some advice on how to reposition myself and to think differently. It's not easy. But what, one thing too, if, if, if you guys care, look for opportunities to showcase. Take on responsibility that they're not just handing to you. Ask for it. That positions you, in, you know, you, you're then seen in a different light. If you don't go out of your way to make it happen, it's not going to. And a lot of people think that if they work really hard, they'll just reap the benefit. And it just doesn't work that way. There's a reason they have the saying, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. Find a way to be seen in the light that you need to be seen. That's part of building your personal brand. It's part of, you know, personal brand isn't just external. It's internal too. And if you can find a way for people to see you differently, you can build upon that. So that's sometimes going, hey, I have an idea for a project and I need a couple people can you give me the resources? And therefore that's a leadership opportunity. Things like that can kind of put you into a different position in a different light. Sorry. Yes, <laughs> no, no, that's great. Great info. That's great. Well, there you go. Boom, right? Well, I guess we'll drop the mic with that one, Judd. That was a great one. <laughs> there you go. You know, so I, I just want to open the floor to any last minute thoughts that anyone has or any questions um, before we wrap up here in the next minute or so. Abdul, if you want to you want to close out and then I'll I'll do some last minute reminders before we end. Yeah, no, sorry, my son just broke walk in. You want to say hi? He got shy. Yeah, around. Interview him? What's it um, like having Abdul as your father? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I, well I, I guess I don't have a true takeaway other than want to thank you guys for giving me a, a few minutes that, you know, hopefully this was illuminating. Um, I, I, I sucked at interviews and I'm not going to claim I'm, I'm still good at them. It took practice for me to get better. Um, and, and I'm actually, I've started to learn that I can become better as an interviewer as well through practice. Um, so, I, you know, if you guys have anything to teach me, I'm always listening. You've been listening to the flip my funnel podcast to make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. 
If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.